0: Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number 10, where we continue looking at temples as a major piece of the restoration. In this class, we will look at getting more out of the symbolism of the temple. How can we see more in temple symbols and understand their nature and their purpose and the invitation that they present to be more celestial? So just a reminder, remember when we did big picture Zion and that their failure to build Zion caused uh, the Lord to say, we're going to wait a little season. And one of the things he said, remember, we're going to wait until we get better. And there's no way we're going to get better until we're endowed from on high. So the whole purpose of the little season that we've been waiting is really a temple building missionary time period so that we can access the power of the temple to get better and then access the power of missionary work to get bigger so the whole purpose of temple work is to get get better so we started with one I, now i'm going to just unfortunately because we don't have time i'd love to do an entire temple class one of these days but because this is Foundations of the Restoration, let me give you four connections and I like to draw it as a square, which is a sacred temple symbol. And I like to draw this, that helps me remember that there's four, that it's a square. There are four essential temple connections. Connection number one is what we talked about last week, and that is that in the chapels we transition from telestial to terrestrial. That's the whole work of missionaries. That's what missionaries go out and do. Give up the terrestrial, come into the waters of baptism, and be better. Membership in the church kind of assumes terrestrial living. But then the temple is designed to push us out of terrestrial and into celestial. And I would invite you to look at everything we do at the temple and say, what is the terrestrial attribute here I'm being asked to let go of? And what is the celestial attribute? This ordinance is inviting me to embrace because everything in the temple is pushing me out of terrestrial and into celestial. The very symbol of the temple is you're coming out of the terrestrial room and into the celestial room, inviting you to come out of the terrestrial world and live in a celestial world right here. Okay, let me just throw out three more connections that will be important to understand as we look at temple symbols. The next connection is that every ordinance, when we talk about an ordinance, an ordinance has two pieces to it. There's a covenant, which sometimes we don't spell out. And then there's a token. And the brilliance of what the Lord does is the token is often teaching us what the covenant is all about. The token is the act. It's the position, it's the physical manifestation. There's always a token and tokens go throughout the temple. For example, we're washed, we're anointed. All of those are the tokens. Baptism, for example, had a covenant and a token. And if you wanna understand, there aren't very many places in the scriptures where the Lord says, here's what you covenanted when you were baptized. And so he illustrates it with the token. So when you go to the temple, you need to start looking at the token. You need to look at the physical act and let the physical act teach you what you're promising to do. So as we talk about temple symbols, I want you to see in the symbol, a covenant. this is what the covenant is all about. The token will always illustrate the covenant. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Another thing that we need to understand, another important connection about temples, probably much more to do with the initiatory side of that is you remember we talked, Jesus talked about being born again. And in the in this chapel, we have a womb. There's the chapel's womb. And we come out of the chapel's womb when we're born again. So we're going to be born in the church. So what then does that make me going into the temple? I'm am a newborn baby. And is that on? Let me pull up this image and you can begin to understand. You'll begin to make some connections with what happens in the initiatory. So just picture this baby has just come out of its mother's womb. And by the same symbolism, that's a newborn baby, right? Just out of the womb. Now picture me after baptism. What's the first thing you would do to that baby? You would wash it. So what's the very first thing that happens to you when you going to the temple? Mm-hmm. You're washed. Now, if this baby happens to be Royal, like for example, Simba was what happened right after Simba was born? What happened right after who's William's son? Well, who's William's son? Know, Charlotte's the girl. Charlotte's the girl. Oh my gosh. So we've got Charles, William, Andrew? No, it's not Andrew. Anyway, when he was born, tell me what was happened. What happened? The moment he was born, he was anointed as future king of England. And so what would you do if this was a royal baby? Anoint. And then? Clothe. Before you give it a name, you clothe it. And then? Name it. Do you see the connection there to the? initiatory. So again, see the symbolism as a newborn, a reborn baby coming into the temple. We're going to wash, anoint, clothe, name. See the connection? Okay, now I need to do one more that for me was one of the biggest eye-opening to helping me understand temple experiences, especially with the first symbol I wanna talk about. Turn to Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 119, which is the command to build the temple. When the Lord commanded the building of a temple, He said, section 88, 119 now give me the verbs organize prepare prepare, prepare, establish establish. now who's the? what's the noun that's doing the verb here I am I organize I prepare I establish so the command to build the temple said you there's some things in your life you need to organize There's some things that need to be prepared and you need to establish the house. That's a great conversation to have is what do we do? What are we doing? Jen and I, what are we doing to establish the temple? But here's the funny thing is at the dedication of the temple, which was given by the Lord to Joseph. So I have to assume the language is very specific. Notice those same verbs, but they're very different. This is you organize, you prepare, you establish. Now go to section 109 of the Doctrine and Covenants and notice what the Lord does to those same verbs. Let's start in verse 15. Do you see it? Whitney, what do you notice? Be organized and be prepared. So put them together. You need to organize so that you are organized. You need to prepare so that you are prepared. What God's going to do in the temple, everything is reciprocal. Everything he's doing to me is an invitation for me to do for him. For example. He's going to anoint me. He's going to anoint me so that I see. But what's implied in that? What will allow God to open my eyes and allow me to see? I'm going to anoint what I look at. Do you see the prepare, be prepared? If I will wash what I look at, He will wash what I see. If I will wash what I think about, he will wash what fills my mind. If I organize, I will be organized. Every single ordinance is reciprocal. So everything he's doing to me is an invitation for me to do also. So I'm, simply gonna, I'm just gonna simply summarize that with organize. Be organized. Watch what that does to temple ordinances. So when you are washed, see it as an invitation to wash. If he washes my eyes so that I can see, it's because I washed what I looked at and I stopped looking at terrestrial things and I looked at celestial things. See how they're all connected? If I will look at terrestrial things and not terrestrial, if I will wash out the terrestrial from my eyes and see celestial, then he will wash my eyes. But while he's washing my eyes, what's he inviting me to do? Wash what I look at. Do you see that relationship? If you begin to see those connections, then the temple becomes really, really powerful in terms of what I'm receiving and what I'm being asked to do. So when you sit there and get washed, what do you need to begin to think? If I'm, if it's reciprocal, if I'm asking to get out of the terrestrial, and if the washing is an indication of what I'm promising. I get it, Lord. I will leave this temple and will look at celestial things. I will fill my mind with celestial things. That's what I'm promising. I'm not just sitting there being washed. I'm sitting there making a promise of how I'm gonna live for the rest of the week. I promise I will look at celestial things and think of celestial things and want celestial things and click on celestial things and go to celestial things. You see what he's washing? But he's not washing, I'm washing. And there's the connection. Any thoughts on those four? I know that was a crash course, but... Okay, one more. Abby? Um, So I just... uh get so caught up in like perfectionism um and so i always try to like just for example wash everything i look at and like if i don't if i'm not perfect at like washing everything then do i deserve to be washed by the Lord, I guess. Okay, you've got to remember what we talked about. Cherubim and the flaming sword. you got to put every ordinance together. What story is the background of this whole presentation? That this is a probationary state. Okay. You have to put the whole thing together. So he says, wash what you look at, but I understand this is a probationary state. Wash what you think about, but I understand that this is a probation. What are God's realistic expectations of your perfection? Mm-hmm. That's the whole story. The, the whole backdrop of the endowment is presented with cherubim and the flaming sword, which is one very powerful symbol. So put it all together. Liam? I'm just going to add on to what I said about um, all that. And just, you know, sometimes I forget. Like, when, I, when you, when you like, uh, think about we're going to do better, when you take the sacrament, if like, I going to do better, what I'm going to commit to doing this week, like, a lot of times I just forget about like, the purpose, like, the spirit of the act. And more focused on like just doing it. Just right. Do it, you know? and it just kinda... Which is interesting. Which is interesting because what's the difference between terrestrial and celestial? I would say one of the differences, these people have a discipline to do good. And these people have a disposition to do good. These people just force themselves to do good. But they've lacked what the reason these people do good because it's their nature. They want that act. And so part of the temple is pushing me to change my disposition. Okay, one quick one. Let's do symbols really quickly. Again, I know this is an entire discussion about how to get more out of symbols. Would you turn with me? I, I love the fact that the Book of Mormon includes so much Isaiah, a very symbolic book. So I'm gonna make a little bit of leap here. The same way we get more out of Isaiah is how we get more out of the temple. Now the beauty is Nephi understood Isaiah, and Nephi gives a lot of clues as to understand Isaiah. So we're gonna look at before and after Isaiah. I think I have a graphic, this might help. Look at that, my calling is the primary chorister, best calling in the whole church. I get to lead the music in primary. It's awesome. Okay, but I think, let me, I don't, didn't include them. Here they are. Where's the colored ones? There they are. Okay, you see that? All right, so here's the Isaiah in Nephi. I know there's, um, Abinadi quotes a chapter and Jesus quotes a a chapter, but here's the bulk of the Isaiah chapters in Nephi. We've got two chapters here. We've got two chapters that Jacob quotes and then 13 chapters that Nephi quotes. So if we're gonna look before and after we quote Isaiah, we're gonna find all these little hints as to how to get more out of it. That's the secret is before or after you, it, we're about to get a chunk. We're going to get a great help. So I want to turn to this one, 2 Nephi chapter 11. 2 Nephi chapter 11. Now, I need you to turn there and look at me and not look at the scriptures. And I'm going to have to turn this off because you'll see what I'm seeing. Okay, I want you to fill in this blank. Now, if you've, if you've done this with me before, just kind of keep quiet for a second. I want you to tell me what you think is the most logic, logical word I'm skipping. Ready? Now, if you know what the word is, I'd say just keep quiet for a second because no one knows what the word is on their own. Tell me what you think the word is that I'm gonna blank. And now I write some of the words of Isaiah, that whoso of my people shall blank these words What do you think the blank is? Read Read is an excellent one. You need to read, Isaiah. Understand, liken, study, ponder, all the words we expect, right? That is not what Nephi said. And again, I'm going to assume the translation is perfect here. And the word is exactly what the Lord wants the word to be. Verse 8, tell me what the word is. If you want to understand Isaiah, what do you need to do? You need to see it, you need to see it. The biggest problem we have in the temple is we're not very observant. We don't stop and see. We don't hold it up and look around and up and down. See a fig leaf. You need to see a fig leaf. You need to feel a fig leaf. You need to brush the fig leaf across your cheek. You need to see a fig leaf. You need to see squares and circles. You need to see the way we hold on to each other. You need to stop and see you need to notice the colors and the light and the position. You need to notice little story. When I went to the temple for the first time, my grandpa pulled me over to a mural and he said, I want you to count the birds. I want you to count the birds in this mural. And I counted, and he said I was wrong by about six to eight birds. So I counted them again. I picked up one or two. I didn't see them. I didn't see the birds that he had counted. Well, that kind of was the end of the story and we moved. Well, every single time I went to the temple, I stopped by the mural and I counted the birds. And pretty soon I I got one more. And then I got another one. And then I got another one. I'll never forget the day I saw the same number of birds my grandfather said he saw but I didn't stop looking. I found two birds that he didn't see. And I realized what my grandfather was doing. He was telling me to come to the temple and do what? Look, look for the birds, look at the symbols, see it. You've got to see it. Now, sometimes the things you see you're not going you to understand. You're not going to understand. So let me give you a second one. Let's turn to this one. Go to 2 Nephi chapter thirty-five or 25. 2 Nephi 25 is after he's quoted a chunk of 13 straight chapters. Notice what he says in verse 1. So true of the temple, right? Think about the first time you went to the... Someone read verse 1 and tell me if this describes your first visit to the temple. Anyone want to read? Abby, verse 1. No, I, Nephi, to speak somewhat concerning the words which I have written, which have been spoken by the mouth of Isaiah. For behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for many of my people to understand. For they they know not concerning the manner of prophesying among the Jews. And there's the problem with the temple, is we don't know the language of symbolism. So let me give you one more. Go to verse 8. Tell me why Nephi says he understood Isaiah. 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 8. Sorry, 6, verse 6. 2 Nephi 25, verse 6. Why does Nephi say he understood Isaiah? Why, Kristen? Yeah. That behold, I, Nephi, have not taught my children after the manner of the Jews. But behold, I of myself have dwelt at Jerusalem, wherefore I know concerning the regions around about. Okay, stop right there. So when Isaiah talks about a teal tree, oh, I know a teal tree. I know what a teal tree is. Oh, the gospel's like a mustard seed. Oh, I know what a mustard seed is. Oh, a square. A square, a compass. I know what a compass is. I know what he says. I know what he's thinking about when he says compass. Because most of us are thinking about something totally different. I know concerning the regions roundabout. Which means you may need to dig a little bit. You may need to research. Now let me remind you, when you go to the temple, what gets held up and shaken in front of your face many times? As if to say, if there's anything here you don't understand, where do you go? Here they are, here are the answers. Go dig, go find out, go know concerning the symbol. Do a little research, you may need to dig a little. And then let me very quickly show you one more. Let's go to every single time they begin Isaiah. Every single time we start a little Isaiah. Go to 1 Nephi chapter 19. 23 and 24, do you see a repeated word? 23 and 24, what's the repeated word? You've got to liken Isaiah. You've got to liken Isaiah. Go to 2nd Nephi chapter six. Verse, I think it's six. Twice, no, it's verse eight, right? It's verse eight, 2nd Nephi chapter, 2nd Nephi six, eight. In in the same verse, it has it twice, right? Is it verse eight? What verse is it? Why am I not remembering what verse it is? Is it five? It's twice. You, it's twice in that same verse. Is it verse 5, James? Okay, verse 5. And two times. So how many times so far? Four times he's used that word. Let's do this one. Let's do one more. So, so we did it right here. We did it right here. Let's go right here. Start in the, verse, in the beginning, verse 2. So 2 Nephi chapter 11, verse 2. What does he say at the very beginning? You You need to liken what I'm about to quote you. And then he says it again in verse eight. Now, that's eight times, no, six times in three different chunks of Isaiah. He says, if you want to get more out of Isaiah, you need to liken. You need to liken. Now, if you're going to get anything out of the temple, you need to learn to liken. So this is you're gonna have to stretch your brain. How am I like that? How am I like a circle? How am I like a washing? You have to pause and say, how am I like that? How is that like me? So those are the helps. Understand the purpose of the temple, look at the token to understand the covenant, understand the reciprocal nature of everything that we do, and then make sure that you look for the, at least the initiatory, the initial step, the the cleansing of the baby. See it, dig a little bit, and then liken it. So let's do one that kind of puts all these things together as an example. I know you've all looked around the Salt Lake Temple. And I'm guessing as you've looked at the Salt Lake Temple, you've noticed there's a sun. There's suns all over the temple. And you've also noticed moons. What's fascinating is if you walk all the way around the temple, you'll see every phase of the moon. Every single phase of the moon is illustrated on the temple. And you've also seen lots of stars. The problem, though, is you jump to a conclusion, right? What's the conclusion when you see sun, moon and star on the temple? And that's my point is you jump to what you're familiar with and you assume that it's pointing to the the three kingdoms. But if you see, if you pause, if you allow yourself to say, okay, wait a minute, I'm noticing where are the suns? Here are the suns, here are the moons, and then the stars are way up there. The stars are at the top of the temple. The stars are at the top of the temple. The other stars on the temple that aren't are upside down. The stars that are right side up are at the top of the temple. So wait a minute, if it's degrees of glory, then what should the order be? It should be star, moon. That's a horrible moon. Oh, that's not a star. Okay, I'm going to start over. Okay, I'm going to face the right way. It should be star, moon, sun, right? But what's the order on the temple? Moon, sun, star. Now, if it's if you go to the Nauvoo temple, it's even more pronounced. Where is this moonstone at the bottom? And if you go out, you see the sun and do you see this very prominent stars? The Nauvoo temple makes it really obvious moon, sun, star. So hopefully that should shake you a little bit and say, hmm, maybe my first impression wasn't deep enough. Why would the the order on the temple go moon, sun, star? So what do you do next? You dig and you say to yourself, is there anywhere in the scriptures where the order is moon, sun, stars? And when you dig, you'll find one. You'll find a reference to a woman clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, and wearing a crown of stars. Turn to Revelation chapter one, but go to the Joseph Smith translation. Turn to Revelation chapter one, Joseph Smith translation. I think I've got this one. Yes, I do. All right, verse 1. Revelation chapter, or sorry, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read the JST. So make sure you've opened up the Joseph Smith translation. All right, Kristen, verse 1, if you don't mind. And there appeared a great sign in heaven, in the likeness of the things on earth. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. There it is. What's the order here? A woman clothed in the sun, on the moon, and above her head are the stars. Now what is that woman? Tell me who that woman is. If you jump to verse 7, what's the woman? The church. The The woman is the church. Who's the, now wait, what do you know about the woman? Go back to verse two. Tell me what you know about the woman. She's She's pregnant. Now, if there's a woman and a baby, there's a father. So who is the father of that baby? Jesus. And all the imagery of the church and Christ being married comes into play here. So this is the bride. This is my mom. If Jesus is my dad spiritually, Mosiah chapter 7 or Mosiah chapter 5 verse 9, because of the covenant that you've made, you shall be called the children of Christ. Who's the mom then? The church is my mom. Now, does she have a veil that I come out of? the whole purpose of the temple is to have me come out of the veil and into him, his presence the church is trying to give birth to a new me and bring me into the father's presence that's my mom the temple as my mother is trying to give birth to a new me. Now, how many of you got that standing at the Salt Lake temple and looking at the sun, the moon, and the stars? So do you see why you have to dig a little? Now, tell me, what does that mean? What is that like? Give me a therefore what? Give me a therefore what? Because the temple is a mother figure trying to give birth to a new me and bring me into my father's presence. James, give me a liken. So what word do we usually associate with moms in the proclamation? And so the church now takes what role in my life? a nurturing role, a comforting. It's the mom who sets the rules, (laughs) who's justice, and who's, you know. And all of a sudden, I begin to see some very significant, why do I go to church on Sunday? How many of you have ever been frustrated that you didn't get anything out of it? May I suggest that you forgot why you were going? Now, allow some imagery. Moms nurse their babies. I went to church to be nursed. And maybe that wasn't to be taught. I went to church to be nursed. And that to me is a very, very different concept than going to learn something I've never learned before. I'm going to church... And I know you all have that relationship with your mom, right? When you fell down, when you were scared. I have, a, I have the sweetest little granddaughter. She's six years old. And wherever she goes, she has to find her mom. At a, you know, a parade or a school activity, she's always. And as soon as she finds mom, tell me what she does. Oh. And that to me is the church. That's the church, that's the temple. Why do you go to the temple? What if I didn't get taught anything? Why do you go to the temple? To be nourished. And that's a beautiful relationship. To see church and temple, Book of Mormon, as my mother. So see the symbols. Okay. Well, with that introduction, let's tackle a few symbols. Um, We don't have time for a lot of them, but I want to tackle some of the really, really important ones. I want to talk about hold to the rod. Hold to the rod. We are to grab onto Jesus. And notice, my grip on Jesus should become increasingly tighter and tighter and tighter. The further I go, the more my grip should be a tight grip on Christ. Now, as I hold on to Christ, a beautiful image comes up. Now, this is where we have to dig. You have to go to the temple and you have to pull out the scriptures to kind of make a comparison. So because we're not in the temple, let's just go to the scriptures. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 22. Old Testament, Isaiah 22. This is the only place in the scriptures where this phrase appears. So you need to find it. And you're gonna dig a little bit and learn the story. So let me tell you the story. Hezekiah is king of Judah. The king has a servant that allows people in to see the king. Now the wrong kind of servant would do what? The wrong secretary of state, the wrong steward, the wrong person in charge would do what? Let the wrong people in or not let the right people in. He would not let the right people in. Well, the king's servant is a man named Shebna, and he's being fired. And we don't have a whole lot of the story. All we know is that Isaiah was sent to Shebna to fire him. And he basically says... I will carry thee away in a mighty captivity. I will cover thee. I will surely violently turn thee and toss thee like a ball into a large country. Tell me that's not a football image. I'm just gonna punch you out of the country. I'm gonna fire you because you're not letting the right people in to see the king. Now, if you're Hezekiah and you just found out that your servant's been unfaithful, what question do you ask? Who do, okay, why? But he's gone. Now what question do you ask? Mm -hmm. Who do I trust? Who will let the right people in? So Isaiah is coming to bring Eliakim and to tell Hezekiah you can trust Eliakim. So he says, notice verse 22. The key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder and he shall open and none shall shut. In other words, he will open the doors to see the king. He will let you in. Now that's a very direct reference to Jesus. Let me just pull up Revelation. If you wanna turn to Revelation chapter three, you'll find in verse seven that same idea that Jesus has the key of David to the church in Philadelphia. <clears throat> right. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, what has Jesus done? Look at verse eight. Tell me what Jesus has done to every single barrier between me and the Father. He has opened every door and no one can shut it. Jesus has opened every door. Now, the irony is in that very same chapter, it gives us this imagery. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So tell me what Jesus has done with every barrier between me and the Father and yet, what am I doing to Jesus? I have shut the door and he's begging for me to open that door and let him in. Hezekiah, you can trust Eliakim. He will open the right doors. Back in Isaiah... I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle and and commit thy government into his hands. Eliakim is going to conduct the business. The king can trust. The father showed up to say what? In the sacred grove. This is my son, now take over. And Jesus took over, right? Now, verse 23. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Jesus is a nail in a sure place. Meaning what? What could you hang on that nail? What could you hang on Jesus? Anything. What could the Father hang on Jesus? Could, Could the Father hang the entire plan of salvation on Jesus? Will that nail hold it? you and I have placed every sin we've ever committed collectively and all the way to infinity. And can Jesus hold it? Can I place my hopes and my dreams on him? Jesus is a nail in a sure place. Now, the reason he became that, you know the story from the sacred temple about Um, And Elder Holland, let me just preface what Elder Holland said in his most recent book. If you wanted to crucify me and hurt me, where would you nail me? In my hands. That would cause me pain. But what if I hung from a nail in my hand? It would rip right through, right? So if you wanted to make sure the nail held me up, where would you nail me? In my wrists. That would be a nail in a sure place. Jesus is the nail in a sure place you can hang all of your hope and faith on him. Some of us hold back and we're scared of him. The woman with the issue of blood wanted to sneak up and get a blessing from behind him. We're not quite fully willing to lay all on him to let him in all the way. Jesus is the person we love and at the same time, he's the person we're the most terrified of. And so by understanding that Jesus is a nail in a sure place, you are promising to lay on that nail everything to open all the way I am willing to lay on him all my hope, all my trust. I'm gonna let him in. I'm not gonna hold back. I will lay on him everything. Now, do you see that beautiful symbol of Jesus being a nail in a sure place? Now, here's the beautiful thing. Let's do this. So, by holding Jesus tightly as a nail in a sure place, I am reminded that I need that He is a nail in a sure place for me. But now I need to do this. In that sacred moment where I'm connecting with Christ as a nail in a sure place, what is He asking of me? It's reciprocal. He is asking me to be a nail in a sure place for him. That's what that moment means. He is a nail in a sure place for me that I can hang all the glory, all my hopes, all my faith, all my trust. But the token is telling you what he's asking. Are you a nail in a sure place for him? Can he trust you? Can he hang on you anything? Can he hang a challenge on you and you'll hold it? Can he lay out responsibility on you? and you'll hold it. Can he lay a quest on you and you hold it? That's what you're promising. Jesus, you can lay anything you need on me. Again, make that human, I'm gonna make some mistakes, I repent, I re- and he forgives me, but the covenant of that moment isn't that he is a nail in a sure place alone. It's that he is asking me to be a a, a nail in a sure place. Do you see that? Do you see the invitation at the same time? He's promising to be something for you. He's asking you to be something for him. No words. Just an image. Will you be that? Now, if you go looking, there is one other person I hold like that. There is only one other person, only one Jesus and my spouse. Without saying a single word, He just taught me how to be a husband, didn't he? He didn't need to say a single word. That connection, that symbol laid across an altar is all I need to know how to be a husband. I promised my wife. Tell me what I promised her. Tell me what I promised her. I will be a nail in a sure place. You can hang everything on me. And I will not let you down. Now, she knows I'm human and she knows I make mistakes and she forgives me and I repent. But what was the covenant I made? I don't need words, do I? I just need that symbol to say, I know how to be a husband. And if I'm ever tempted, what do I say to myself? I will not. I am going to be a nail in a sure place for that woman. And she says the same thing. Do you see the power of how the token teaches the covenant? And it's reciprocal. Will you be that kind of spouse that your spouse can hang everything on? and you will hold it. I am holding up every hope, every trust, every sacred responsibility that my wife has laid upon me. And I will not fail her. Do you see the covenant? With a symbol. It's beautiful. With a symbol. Okay, thoughts? Do you want to teach a temple? <laughs> <laughs> you see, we could go for hours. We could just go for hours. James. What is meant by 25? So, eventually, did the weight come off Jesus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning, he was faithful until when? He was faithful until the very end. He was faithful until the weight came off. That's why the reference to vessels and cups. Yep. You see the connection? Mm-hmm. So, Someday, the weight on him was taken off. I think the idea here is he he stayed steady until when? He held that weight until the very end. Now, in the covenant with my wife, there's no end. But the idea is I'm going to stay faithful until when? Until the work is done. I'm going to stay faithful until the load is no longer needed to be carried. Let's do another week. Let's do another week. Let's finish it. We'll do circle. We'll do compass. We'll do square. I'd like to do veil. Did we, we did veil? Just briefly, right? Okay, we'll do, we'll do veil. I'd like to do altar. Um, I love the Big Dipper. That's just kind of a fun one. We'll, we'll do a few more. How about we just take another week? Okay. Okay. Um, If if we're talking foundations of the restoration, I can't imagine something more significant that he's restored than the foundations of the covenants of the temple and helping you understand their purpose is one of the most important things I think I can do. I, I was raised in a day and a time where no one felt like they could talk about the temple. So no one did and I went into the temple without any preparation. And that's wrong. It is as inappropriate to not talk appropriately about the temple as it is to talk inappropriately about the temple. There are certain things I promised I wouldn't say, but there are other things I can very much say, especially the things that are here in the scriptures. And so I would love to take, let's take one more week and just talk a little bit more about getting out of the terrestrial world because I see something in a symbol. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number 10. As you have pondered some of the symbols associated with the temple, would you find some time to ponder and share with a friend or with me or with the class or with someone in your inner circle? What you now see as significant in one of the symbols of the temple. What invitation do you see in the in the symbol that is inviting you to let go of terrestrial things and come into the celestial world?